this this is our hundredth episode, guys, and it it's getting off to a bang. Oh, I'm so excited! Uh, I just there's a couple things in our hundredth episode that I just wanted to point out that that came to me very like in the last two minutes. The first one is that we started off this show. The conceit of the very first episode was talking about smartphones and data plans and how ridiculous the Canadian landscape was. And as you'll and see, then the we first... continue to talk about it for two years. <laughs> the first follow up story, the whole gist in the first episode. <laughs> and then it was two whole years. Specifically, the first, I think the first major story we actually covered was the, the wireless code of conduct coming in and how we thought that might change over the last two years. So jokes bef- on us. <laughs> Before we get into the actual show, Mike, why don't you bring up this piece of follow up and, and we can, we can discuss how the wireless code of conduct has changed the Canadian wireless landscape. <laughs> well, in, by no coincidence at all. Shortly after Bell bought MTS, mm. Rogers has increased their monthly phone rates by five dollars. Just <laughs> you know, give us five more dollars, guys. Just, just in Manitoba. Just in Manitoba. Yeah, just where MTS was. So again, by complete coincidence, MTS gets bought, and now Rogers is increasing their prices. So, mm-hmm. well, I just mean, they just spent there. a lot of money acquiring that company. <laughs> Another company did, yes. They should this be is a, compensated. This is a different company. <laughs> this is a different company that's raising their rates. This isn't even Bell raising their rates. This is Rogers. So let's just... No, no, I'm saying that Rogers... Oh, wait, no. Oh! <laughs> yeah. <wow>. yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They're just like... Just whipping it out now, aren't they? It's like, hey... What are you going to do now, huh? You're going to go to MTS? Nope. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, so. Guy is staring at me because I am so loud. And I am right beside her this week. I, I, so this week there was a story that, that ran on Mobile Syrup about some price deals that were going on at Kudo and a Virgin, which are the subsidiary brands of TELUS and uh bell i don't know if it was a freudian slip there but i feel like you said aversion instead of virgin maybe and I, who knows think, you know <laughs> big but uh, they, they ran this story and i went to look as i do so often because i'm with fido i went to look at fido's rate plans to see if there was anything similar to that and i went to fido's website looked at the plans and there was a plan there that was for for only, I think it was $50 a month, so $10 less than, than their, um, Virgin and Kudo $60 plan. There was only a $50 one that gave you five gigabytes instead of two gigabytes. And right away, I, I was just like, Oh, guys, I went into, to Slack for mobile syrup and I was like, guys, you should add this to the story because this is an even better deal. And then, so they said, okay, cool. We'll, we'll go at it. And then I went and looked at the story after it had been updated and it said that Fido also has a $60 two gigabyte plan matching the competitors now that's weird uh i i said it was a five gigabyte plan and i said it was fifty dollars because that's what i saw i went back and loaded it and yeah the, the deal was still there and i looked and the province was quebec because quebec has videotron and i went to manitoba and manitoba had mts and that plan was there five gigabytes fifty dollars way cheaper than any other province in saskatchewan same thing 
But Ontario, nope, $60 for the two gigabyte plan because there's no major competitor. And isn't that just the worst? Yeah. Well, and we we touched on this last week, how companies like Rogers, Bell, Telus, they'll use lower prices in places like Manitoba, Saskatchewan as to stay competitive, but they're really losing money. Yeah. Like it's not a sustainable business if all of their plans across the country were priced like that, but they're able to do that because they're, it gets made up for in Ontario and Alberta and BC. Right. So yeah, it's, uh, I guess to summarize all this, the mobile landscape hasn't changed. <laughs> it's probably gotten worse in the last two years. No, it has, it's changed in the specific ways that the, that the CRTC set out to change it in that we don't have three-year plans. Now we have two-year plans or you have to pay more upfront for the phone. Uh, th- there's all these specific loopholes that the companies have used to continue making the amount of money they had or increase the amount of money they were making. And we haven't really gotten any better service or cheaper plans. And it, it is, Mike, the, the point you made is a good one that they are, they have to lose money or possibly break even. We don't really know their finances in provinces like Saskatchewan and Manitoba to compete. And SaskTel is at least partly subsidized by the Saskatchewan government. MTS, we found out, was like a billion dollars in the hole when they sold. And that's why they sold because they couldn't compete. So it's not that this is like, this is not cheap. And Canada is a big country. There's a lot to cover with network infrastructure, but it just, it really seems like a lot of the things that they're doing. They, like, I don't mind paying a hundred dollars for a phone plan, but if I was paying a hundred dollars, I would want to get unlimited data, which wouldn't really, like, it wouldn't necessarily kill the network if everyone had unlimited data because most people don't use that much and if i like i want unlimited data i would want to be able to connect my phone and my ipad to the network like i'd want a share plan where either of those devices could use unlimited data right now i have one plan that has data on it and i have to switch sim cards between my ipad and my phone depending on what i want to use like it shouldn't be that difficult i don't mind Mm -hmm. paying for the privilege of using data i just would want it to be unlimited. I don't want to limit myself if I'm paying. Like right now you can get the $30, $15 gigabyte or 15 gigabyte plan from Rogers or, or Bell. And like, it's a massive amount of data, but it's not necessarily nearly as much as I would use in a month. And it costs $250. And then it costs mm-hmm. even more if you want to add a second phone. And it costs even more if you want to add a tablet. Like there's all these extra costs and it's already hugely expensive and it's not unlimited. It's not enough data if you actually want to consume videos in a modern way or consume what is modern enough content. data for you rob i think like if they had a 40 gigabyte plan i would be totally fine <laughs> I've, i don't think i've ever oh. gone over 40 gigs but i also haven't had tethering on my phone and i still use 35 or 30 most months yeah i think as an episode 100 challenge <laughs> nick this isn't gonna be a problem for you because you're fairly conservative already i'm not gonna do this i already i don't know I what you're gonna say we need to see who can use or who can drop their data use by the most percentage. Oh, no. If that oh, makes sense. Oh, you guys are going way down. So, the biggest data loser? Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not going to talk about like who can use the least amount of data because we all have different amounts that we regularly use. Right. So for me, I don't know. No, 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 because no. What do you, what do you move? What are you doing that goalpost for? <laughs> well, I think that's too hard. We could do that. I'd win. Rob handily. just has to use data like a normal human being and he'll just destroy us all with so, percentages. W- what's normal? Why am I not normal? 
So Because you use 40 gigabytes a month, Rob. That's why you're not normal. I use less than 40. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I also use less than 40. We're both normal. We yes. had this discussion regarding podcasts and how I don't bother downloading them because I'm able to stream them. And yeah. Rob, Rob thinks that's just exploiting my privilege. Just, a little bit. I, and I, and I'll, I'll, I won't disagree with that. Mm-hmm. But I could be downloading them because yeah. I, I don't listen to them. I'll, I'll usually have a couple saved up that I haven't listened to. So I could have downloaded them in that time. Yeah. So I feel like other than watching YouTube on the train and perusing, you know, Facebook or Twitter or whatever, I don't really do much other data use. Right. So I think I'd, I'd be able to cut it down if I needed to. It would suck, but I could if I had to. Now, I don't know what Rob's is like. I don't think I could. I'm at about a gigabyte a day. I don't think I yeah. can. And I'll, this was Google I.O. week, so yeah. uh, I'll add that caveat that that was quite a bit, but I'm still at about a gig a day, and that it wouldn't be much less on a non-I.O. Uh, month, week, whatever. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to do that data cutting <laughs> thing. Why, why would we do that? What's in it for any of us? Just for science, Rob. For Just science. to see if we can. To see if we can. Is this like, if I'm able to survive on only five gigs a month, that I should go down to a plan that's only five gigs? Is that? I'm saying if we get to a point where Fido takes away our glorious plan, how dare you say that? <laughs> would we would we just quit the internet? Would we be like, I can't do this. I, I, I can't do this. Or would I, we just shell out 200 bucks a month to keep up our habits? I honestly don't know. I, like if YouTube Red ever comes to Canada and I get a way to save YouTube clips offline, I might be able to do that. But I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to be limited in that yeah. way. We have the technology. I can send a tech, unlimited text messages whenever I want, wherever I want. Why is that? Like, if I wanted to send a billion text messages, that would theoretically use about a gig of data. And there's I'm no, imagining Rob no with like a dirty beard and long hair, torn jeans, <laughs> like flannel jacket, just lying on the side of the sidewalk in Ottawa. <laughs> Big like cardboard things, and we'll work for we'll work for data. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically the situation we're in now. I. I would work for data right now. I I actually wanted to say something else, but I don't think it's appropriate for <laughs> no, this probably for the not. <laughs> and but I'll, the things I'll, you would do for data, Rob, I, I think yeah. it's a lot. So I'm I'm in an even worse situation than Mike. I'm assuming Mike that you're on HSPA plus data as well. Yeah. Like they, you don't have LTE. No. And so we're already getting handicapped in that way. In that, especially upload speeds are yeah ridiculous like i'm getting one megabit up i'm getting like nick's internet connection up on mobile for, for <laughs> what what are you uploading on mobile Ever, like photos whatever, mostly photos, i would say yeah. that are the biggest okay. things backing up pictures but yeah um more than that mike you have tethering i don't even have tethering available to me <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's it's just the worst like i have a yeah. i have a cell phone plan what? from 2008 and it is from 2008 because those are the times like the speeds have gotten a, quite a bit better, I would say, on the download. But yeah. on the upload, they're the same as they ever were. And really, the only thing that's gotten better is the quality of the quality of internet services in general. Like, they're yeah. much less flaky than they used to be. We're going to be driving up to Edmonton later today. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm going to be tethering our tablet <laughs> the whole way. 
Yeah. The whole three hour drive, our <laughs> tablet will be tethered and we'll be watching Netflix. Well, well yeah, but. I had a two day meeting that I, where I was taking notes and I had to like be on the internet and I had to be, it's like having my iPad. So I wasn't, I wasn't wanting to have to switch between my phone and my iPad to do it. So I, like I paid an extra $180 or whatever, maybe only 130 to have uh, a cellular radio in my iPad. So I had to move physically move the SIM to there to be able to actually get on the internet yeah. because NSERC is really behind on getting their Wi-Fi up and running. <laughs> but it, it it's so great to be able to just use internet wherever yeah. you have it. And according, ridiculous that you can't. According to, was it Ford? Having internet in your car is the dream. <laughs> That's the dream. So I'm living the dream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Without needing internet baked into my vehicle. I don't yeah. I don't need that. I just need tethering. Yeah. So. Baked? Anyway, baked. sorry. That's not where I was going with this. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, because I remember when I worked at NRC and they were super picky about who got to use the Wi-Fi. Um, apparently, that's for espionage reasons. Well, I, and I get that, but they have a secure network. It's just staff aren't allowed to use it. Yeah. It, it's, it's a, yeah. Okay. But they're also encouraging you people to rob a mole. They're, they're trying to encourage people to bring their own devices for a dirty, dirty cell phones. Mole. I, I am a dirty mole. That's true. Um, <laughs> you're working for future chat. I, I really am. I do, a, I do get a lot of information out of, uh, out of being at NSERC, like the science odyssey week that happened this past, like up until this past Sunday, that was really yeah. fun being a part of that. I'm glad. Yeah. For some reason, every time I see tweets from them that you've retweeted, I think that you're the one that tweeted the original <laughs> tweet, but I, I know wish. you're not. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll get there one day. You will. Yeah. So <laughs> Mike, there was another piece of uh, mobile-related follow-up yep. here that we should probably get to. We still have a lot to actually talk about in yeah. this episode. That, that, that's why I didn't want to talk about it. Oh, you don't even want to no. talk about it? No, that's fine. That's fine. All right. Yeah. Then, then in that case, I'm going to go to another piece of follow-up that is a little internal, but I also want to get your guys' take on it and to hear if any of our listeners who, who still mostly don't tweet at us uh, have encountered this <laughs> issue. So... Our millions of listeners yes. are just oddly silent. <laughs> <laughs> I um, so I use Feedly for RSS because RIP Google Reader, and I noticed that, that earlier this week, suddenly most of my RSS feeds were going through Google's AMP program, the Accelerated Mobile Pages, and so now all the feeds redirect through AMP to give you like fast mobile. Uh, loading and so i encountered this twice i encountered this once with vox where i clicked a link and then the page loaded and i went to go share that link and then i realized that the link was not actually to vox.com it was to like amp.vox.com slash vox.com and then the link so it like it parsed out and added an extra thing in order to make it accelerated mobile page. Uh, oh, here's, here's what it was. So 
this is Vox. Like this is in Vox's RSS feed. This was the link that it sent me to cdn.ampproject.org slash C slash www.vox.com slash whatever, whatever slash platform platform slash amp. And then the rest of the link. <laughs> this like that, that sounds well, thank like God we're, we're reading out Earl's on the program now. This, no, this, just, sound, this sounds like www.creedthoughts.gov.www slash creed thoughts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it, that's crazy that that's what they have to do to implement accelerated mobile pages. And then yeah. just this morning, we realized that one of the links that I posted in here to popular science, just literally, this is me clicking the link or in Feedly, uh, like pressing the share extension and sharing to Instapaper, it parsed out the link popsi.com slash amp slash amp. And clicking that link goes nowhere. But that was the link that it was that I was met with when I had huh. re- loaded the story in Feedly, read it, and then tried to go from Feedly and post the direct link. So there's something weird going on with RSS that Feedly hasn't really figured out and made a switch over. But but the websites have started to use the accelerated mobile pages. And it's just it's just bizarre right now. Is it similar to instant articles? Yeah, it, that- it's Google's implementation and it's more cross-platform than, I mean, Facebook's is somewhat cross-platform because it's, they're using their open graph and their open graph tags are pretty widely used, but AMP is supposed to be more across the web for just reading on mobile as opposed to Facebook, which is like when you're in the Facebook app, it'll load the story in instantly. Hmm. But it's, yeah, it's all very weird. And obviously there's, it's going to take some time for this to catch up. I just found it bizarre and I... I was curious if you guys had noticed any weirdness like that where you had AMP showing up in in a URL somewhere. Not that I've seen. No. Be be on the lookout because it's weird. That said, since I got my Nexus 5, my my podcast downloads have been going so much faster. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. If If I saw a URL with AMP in it when I wouldn't expect it, I'd almost think it was like a phishing type thing if you didn't know to look for amp and knew what it stood for yeah i agree yeah <clears throat> it seems like a url i mean it is a url redirect but it seems like one of the fishy url redirects yeah. that you wouldn't want yeah exactly yeah i uh i've also started noticing i don't know if this is just because my computer's getting older i i mostly noticed it on my work computer that if i click on a link from twitter i see analytics.twitter.com flash in the in the title bar yeah, and then it goes to the web page. I'm just like, yeah, I'm aware that everyone is tracking everything now. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh. so yeah, Google AMP. I'm I'm very curious to see what comes of that, and if if feed publishers and all that can get those kinds of things out of the way um, to make it transparent again for users that a link you click on is actually a link you're expecting to go to. Yeah. Speaking of tracking, I don't think we're going to end up talking about it at any point, but. Lately, a lot of the tech podcasts have been on the iTunes podcast debacle. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I'd encourage anyone to listen to both Upgrade and ATPFM. Yeah, they've both touched on it, and I think listening to both, I think you get a good idea of what the issue is, and kind of two different sides a little bit. That they they each each show kind of approaches it differently. Um, yeah at least the discussion of it. So long, long story short, podcasters want iTunes to do more to uh, support some kind of advertising efforts. Not them, just some. No, 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 not support yeah. them. Support their efforts in trying to 
add more data tracking and and uh, analytics and that kind of thing to the podcast listening. But there's differing opinions. And I think for the most part, most of the podcasting community says, why do we even want this? Mm-hmm. But there's a, there's <laughs> yeah. apparently there's a, a think uh, think tank that was invited to Apple to talk about this. And yeah. that's what they said. So. Yeah, the the episode of Upgrade I assume you're referring to is the one where they actually had uh, Lex Friedman, a guy from Midroll, who does podcast advertising yeah. and like hooks I'm, up advertisers with with podcasts. I'm at the beginning of that one. I'm referring okay. to the one before that one. Okay, yeah, they actually had him on to follow yeah. up, and they talked for half an hour or so with him. He's really knowledgeable and been doing this for a long time, and yeah, they they both put a good perspective on it. Of just if you think advertising on the web is terrible. Why would you want advertising in podcasts to be more like advertising on the web? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, anyway, it's interesting. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, I'll I'll put the links to the yeah. to the episodes where they discuss that of upgrade and accidental tech podcast. I'm I'm really glad you're listening to those now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like Nick with Planet Money. I I've slowly earwormed my way into your podcast directory. <laughs> I think the difference here is that Planet Money is genuinely interesting. To you, it's it's more it, like Planet Money is very to short. Everyone, yeah, Planet Money is sometimes interesting. Planet Money's twenty minutes long, but uh, yeah, the the biggest news of the week, I would say, is Google I/O. Yeah, and having watched the entire keynote by now, having caught up on what I missed, um, I don't know. I found that it was a little underwhelming, and that nothing is coming like not we don't have anything from it yet and we won't for some time to yet be determined did you guys my nick i guess i'll ask you first to get out of the way did you see any of this or hear anything about it afterwards nope good all right mike what did you what what was your takeaway from this (laughs) my takeaway was kind of like you it's like there's either nothing new here or there's nothing really to be excited about excited about right now but Mm -hmm. The reactions I was seeing on Twitter were the exact opposite. Yeah. People I, seem to be yeah. unusually excited about what they were talking about. Yeah. You guys have gotten so jaded. <laughs> this is one thing I've noticed over the past two years. Like it used to be that when Google I.O. came out or when Apple did its whatever thing, keynote, mm-hmm. I don't know, details, you guys would just lose it over this stuff. You guys were so excited. And now you guys have like gone hardcore into the, you know, uh, I'm trying to like Twitter. Okay. Yeah. Nick, do you know, do you know why? Science and tech. And then like now you're like, yeah, this is all like old news, guys. Come on. Nick, we're at the plateau. We've peaked. <laughs> we're at our pinnacle. <laughs> we're at, we're at peak technology. And now every single improvement is like, Hey, we're making the API a bit more easier for developers to use. And it's like, okay. Is that it? Or is it yes. that, like for each of these stories, probably several months ago, there was some random article on Gizmodo or Mobile Syrup about it. You guys are like, Oh my God, there's this incre- incremental improvement. I can't believe it. It's so amazing. <laughs> and now so- it happens in IO and you're like, eh. The thing that's interesting to me is like Google is pushing the envelope forward. I am genuinely excited about some of the stuff they talked about. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I've seen more than anything is that Apple focused people, people who sit there loving Apple are saying they're not doing as much as they used to do. And, and they're genuinely also excited. Like they're paying attention to Google more than 
they ever have. So that to me is genuinely interesting. It's just that when they announce, and most of what we, most of what I'm, I'm assuming, I'm going to assume, Mike, if you, that you had the same experience as me, when they announce stuff, I hear Apple people on Twitter or later on podcasts saying, wow, this is really cool. I, I saw this in the keynote and I think it's really interesting. But you and I, having paid attention throughout all of this, see like, oh, they announced this Allo and Duo. Um, what happened to Hangouts? Yeah. I thought you were updating your platform, but whereas everyone else is like, oh, these things are really cool. It's like, yeah, they'd be really cool. They already have an app that does 98% of this. Yeah. Well, and it, it's the same thing like with this Daydream VR. Like it's good mm. that they're, well, I don't know. We'll get into the individual items, I guess, in the near future yeah. here. But like they had cardboard, they already had VR initiatives, and now they're trying to kind of develop this standardization, I yeah. guess, or collaborative effort to bring VR to the mass market, which is good, but it doesn't seem like it's worth going crazy over. Right. You know Not what I yet. mean? Not yet. Like, you know, once they release a VR headset, but even then it's like, well, Samsung has one. Um, you already have, you know, the Vive and the the Rift that are dedicated VR handsets. You don't, yeah. you don't plug a phone into it, but this, the Gear VR that's been around for like two years already. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's new. It's coming from Google and it's going to work with more phones. That's great. But it's not groundbreaking by any stretch. Well, I, I think that the thing to think about with Daydream, and I, I honestly paid less attention. I don't know what, what it is about VR, but I'm not that excited by it in general. The, the thing to me that is interesting about it is that they're saying that phones will be coming out this fall that are powerful enough to run VR on this platform. Where like even the latest phones, like the Samsung phones that um, they've just released this spring are not powerful enough to do it, but they're That's working with... That's not true though. No, not to the standard that they're trying to set. I think I that's haven't looked at the plan. specific standards, but I'm pretty sure the whole thing was that the Samsung phones, like the Note and the S, those were the only ones powerful enough in the Android lineup that could run VR. But, so that they want to encourage more more manufacturers to make phones up to that standard. I don't think it's that Samsung isn't even at that standard yet. Maybe. But consider the the desktop side of things where the Oculus famously needs gaming computer basically to run vr yeah and i think that you're going to run into that same kind of thing on mobile and so i think what google's trying to do is get ahead of the fact they're they're seeing that vr itself the thing where you go buy a five or six hundred dollar headset put it on and run it through your computer isn't going to be as powerful as what they've been doing with cardboard which is taking your regular phone sticking it into a twenty dollar thing and having a almost similar experience and so they're trying to get to the point that that is a similar experience. We already have phones yeah. that have six inch, five inch screens that could cover your entire field of vision or most of it. And so just wrapping that into a better package is probably going to be the way that they think that VR is going to go mainstream. It's going to be through yeah. a phone. As far as it being a similar experience, it's, it's a poor man's experience. <laughs> if you're just, if you're just watching a 360 degree video or photosphere, then sure, it's going to be the mm-hmm. same. But when you get into like 3D rendering of CGI and stuff, a phone has no chance of keeping up with a full computer. And you don't think it ever could? I, I'm not saying it ever could, but 3D rendering is like the most demanding thing a phone could ever do. If you go into benchmark tests yeah. that they do, 3D rendering is like one of those tests and they all it's a challenge right right whereas a gaming computer it has like five fans you know a dedicated 
um, graphics interface, all that kind of stuff, right? So right. you have all these additional things that support that aspect because you're running these really sophisticated games. You know, yeah. this isn't like, you know, RuneScape or NHL 2000. Like these are super great, high quality, realistic games. Right. And it, bringing that to a headset is a huge task if you're trying to keep it, you know, not connected to a computer. Yeah. No, um, I agree. And like a couple of years ago, Apple came out with this set of graphics APIs called Metal that allow you to get really low level, like right up against the hardware uh, writing software for specifically for realistic environments, fast rendering. And my understanding is that Daydream is launching with a set of tools that do the, a similar thing for Android, where they allow you to use APIs that are right up against the hardware, the graphics hardware. And that's what's going to enable this really fast uh, 3D rendering. Hmm. And so I think that Apple has done really well. Like I'm not, 3D is obviously different than making 3D like shapes on a 2D screen. But I really think that Apple is positioned with with that platform, the metal platform that they've been using. They're well situated to move naturally into VR, whereas Android is going to need this Daydream platform and the tools that come with it to be able to match that. Not saying they can't do it, but right now they need that backup, that platform to back them up. Yeah. It's kind of confusing this whole where VR is going to go because you have your augmented reality stuff like Google Glass, your HoloLens. Um, those are pretty much the only two yeah. that are that are out right now or co- kind of close to being out. And I could see people using that on a daily basis, just being out and about and, or, you know, maybe not the HoloLens because that's a bit more kind of intense, but say yeah. like with Google Glass and you go up to a street sign, look at it and it tells you, additional information about that location Mm -hmm. or whatever right whereas stuff like the rift or even google cardboard for that matter you're not going to just pull it out and use it like cardboard is a bit more practical because it's not additional kind of electronics equipment but like what does google seeing people using the daydream vr platform for is it to sit back and spend an hour playing games right or is it for for what right because at that point you may as well have it hooked up to a computer mm. if you're going to be sitting in one spot or standing in one spot kind of yeah. interacting with it i i honestly think that a combination of ar and vr is the most interesting to me and so you get something like i've seen i've seen people do this where you have a drone and you wear what amounts to basically a vr headset but what you're looking at is the the footage from the drone and so you're able to basically fly around in first person on this autonomous not autonomous vehicle but on this vehicle that you're controlling with a controller in your hands i think that might be the most interesting thing to me because i could see almost like you could almost develop a game like quidditch or something where you have a bunch (laughs) of drones flying around trying to accomplish some kind of goal right that seems really cool to me and and standing around like Sorry, I was gonna say drone racing is sounds like it's well, exactly, yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Drone it's got racing, some really killer footage. It, yeah, exactly, and there's no real risk to the people, assuming that they're kind of far enough away. There are limitations. Like I've I've been to a drone race. I went to cover uh, Drone Fest 2015 for Mobile Syrup in Ottawa, and I saw some of it. But it was it was very basic. Like it was four small drones racing, and they had to do three laps, I think, and 
basically the goal was if you were able to go reasonably fast and not crash to the point where you had to go and get your drone, then you won or did really well. Hmm. And so I think the improvement of that technology and kind of making the connection more reliable, making the video kind of less laggy as as lowering the lag as much as possible. I think that's kind of where this will be most interesting to me because I don't, I don't play first person shooters now. I don't have any interest in kind of, I don't play any really any video games. I play kind of like iPhone games, but for me, that isn't really interesting because that's not the kind of thing I do anyways. And there are a lot of, there are a lot of gamers and I think mm-hmm. that's a big market, but I don't think it, that's necessarily enough to go mainstream and maybe I'm wrong, but so I honestly don't know where to go next because like we could talk about Allo and Duo, this pair of redundant iOS and Android apps for communication. Allo and Duo, Duo would be much more interesting if I didn't have to convince friends and family to go download two more apps. And if they were <laughs> apps that I'd already convinced them to download two years ago when Hangouts, that the mobile app debuted. And it's like they seem like interesting features i'm i'm a little concerned about duo in that the way that video calls currently work is that as you're as a call is dialing or as you're an, asked being asked to answer a call you can see yourself and i like the ability to see yourself i think that's a good interaction because it lets you make sure that you're ready for the call and then you hit answer and it's good what they have done is take um real time apis that were that are like apparently the the group behind uh RTC real time communication which is like a a web standard that is growing really quickly that that team that came up with that is actually behind duo so they've really made this this is cutting edge video technology and so what they're able to do is when you start a call that person's video immediately streams to the person who's answering and so you get to see what they're up to before you answer the call. So you get to see kind of what the situation is. Are they at their parents? Like maybe you should put some pants on or are they, <laughs> are they out inside at some kind of like nightclub? And so maybe you shouldn't answer because they're just drunk and you don't actually want to talk to them. But it's a, it's a weird kind of decision to say, you don't get to see yourself before this call, which is what we're used to. You get to see the other person, what they're doing. And to me, that's a little weird because I like the idea of seeing like I, I do like the reduced friction of kind of knowing what you're what to expect when you answer a phone mm-hmm. and specifically being able to see it. But I also like the idea of making sure that you look OK for a video call, because I often think, do I look OK? Am I suitable for a video call right now? Or should I like, for instance, put a shirt on? I often find that just walking around the house, I'm not wearing a shirt. And I'm like, I can't really answer this right now. I should put a shirt on first. I don't know. What do you think, Mike? Is it not... I haven't seen any demos or screenshots of it, but being the receiver of a call, you're talking about being the receiver of a call, right? Yes. Yeah. So if I'm receiving a call and I see the person on the other end, that's fine. I think that there's like a mini thumbnail in like the bottom corner, the same way there is now when you're talking to someone, there's like the picture in picture thing. Yes. Like would that, would that not be the case here? So this is an argument that I heard actually on the most recent episode of ATP is that, Even if there is, which they didn't really show, they showed on the lock screen, there wasn't, which makes sense. Like, I wouldn't want my phone to start ringing. And this would only be possible on Android. This wouldn't, this particular thing wouldn't work where you have the video showing up on the lock screen on iOS because it's too tightly controlled. Uh, Android could do it. 
but I wouldn't want my phone that's ostensibly asleep to wake up with video of somebody else and a thumbnail of me. I would, I would want to be able to have to unlock it first and then maybe be put in a kind of a waiting room where you can see what they're doing. You can also see yourself. There's a way to do this right, but they explained it very little. So I can't get excited about it until I actually see how they pull it off. Right. And obviously you could have the thing where the main screen is them and you're in a little thing. I don't like the small thing to me isn't that valuable. It's basically seeing if I'm in frame or not. You can't actually see detail, but if you could tap that and see yourself big, I think that would be fine. But Mm -hmm. yeah, the fact that it seems like Google launches a chat platform works on it for a year or so and then just lets it kind of languish for the most part and then announces one or two or three new ones just seems like a strange way to do things like it's like their teams have add where they just can't can't keep working on something they have to start fresh every time yeah like there's honestly like i'm not a developer or anything so take this for what it's worth but now i'm no developer (laughs) but it seems like anything that Allo and Duo offers could just as easily be implemented into Hangouts. If not more so, because it already has the infrastructure there. I agree. And, ha- and has people using it. <clears throat> yeah. Like, and I, I saw this one comment, I think it was like on an Android central comment thread. And the one guy was like, he's like, I'm ashamed because after all this time of getting people to switch over to Hangouts, now I'm going to have to convince them to switch over to like two more apps yeah. and, and get rid of Hangouts. Like, yeah. It's, it's like you build up all this momentum, you know, as much momentum as you're ever going to get at this mm. point for Hangouts, and then you're just going to come up with two new ones. Like I don't understand that. It's, right. and as far as Allo goes, they're trying to play off, you know, the Snapchat popularity. Like, right. like this is or Facebook Messenger. It's kind of like a Snapchat Facebook Messenger marriage. Th- right. This other Allo app, mm. which is good. I I agree that those are good functionalities to have, but. Yeah why come out with a new app for it yeah so the the argument that i could see devil's advocates making i'm not going to make it but i'm just going to say what they're what i could imagine them saying and then say why it's different so you could say google had gchat why replace it with hangouts but the very simple answer to that question is like this is different i feel because uh gchat ran on xpcc or xm pp with the chat protocol that is very old like it dates back to the very beginnings of the internet it's kind of almost like um irc yeah i was gonna say yeah and so it's a very old platform it doesn't kind of mesh well with modern technology yeah even at the time even when gchat was around in gmail it wasn't like it was very clear that it was out of its element it was too. It was already in too modern a, a place. So, making Hangouts, making it modern, making it something you could sign into from multiple locations at the same time, it let them build a much stronger platform. But I feel like what what we're getting from Allo and Duo are already mostly implemented in Hangouts, and so right. all you would need is incremental updates to Hangouts to get the features of Allo and the features of Duo. Built in, and you could have like the whole thing about having a being able to invite the Google bot into your chat and being able to have it answer questions for you in a chat with someone else or with other people is interesting. But you could just incorporate 
the addition of a Google bot into a Hangouts chat. We, we've talked and, and apparently Hangouts is sticking around. It's not necessarily dying off right away, if at all. But it seems like why do this, especially because it sounds like it's just going to be on mobile. Why do this? You already have a better thing or a more robust thing. Why not just add the improvements you're making to this brand new app into the app you already have? It, it's yeah. very bizarre. Like, I'd think that if they updated Hangouts with all these features, you'd have a lot of people returning to Hangouts. Yeah, yeah. Because people have abandoned them. There's no question about that. And I think saying, oh, wow, they're actually still paying attention to Hangouts. You've proved us wrong. We've been saying for the past year that you don't care about Hangouts, and now you're actually yeah. updating it. That's great. Mm-hmm. But this is just saying, yeah, they act- they literally <laughs> abandoned Hangouts. Yeah. <laughs> they, and- all the time, they've been building two new apps. Yeah. Same with Google Spaces. Like, yes, you're abandoning yeah. Google Plus. You're not adding spaces to Google Plus. You're saying, here's a completely new thing that has no ties whatsoever to Google Plus. But does a lot of the same things Google yeah, Plus already it, does. Exactly. Yeah. So he, here's the thing. Hangouts used to be first or second on my list of best chat apps. When it first launched, I was like, wow, this is awesome. Everyone should use it. It's great. And then Facebook just put a bunch of resources into making Messenger better And for instance, yesterday I was able to go, because everyone has Facebook, I was able to go in to Messenger, start a group chat with eight people that I had, that I was planning to spend the afternoon and evening with. I was able to go to them, put them all in a chat conversation, hit the call button. And I talked to four out of the eight people in one call. We figured out our plans instead of making, texting back and forth a bunch, making separate phone calls, trying to figure everything out. We had four people, so th- only two of the people that were out of the eight weren't represented because we were in smaller right. groups at in the couples, time. Yeah, right. Everyone was able to just quickly make plans in this one phone call that was like two minutes long, and then we were set. And I sent one quick message into the same group saying, for people that weren't on the call, here's what we're doing. And it worked so flawlessly that I am, I'm at the point now where even, like I have one person one group of people that uses hangouts and that's pretty much it i do most of my chatting on facebook messenger and i have like i have slack for for this uh team for instance because i find that uh, slack is good for different reasons but even then when you want to have multiple people in a phone call with slack that they a feature they just introduced it costs like seven dollars a month per person that's (laughs) using it so it's it's not worth that much to me to have that and so Slack is good for teams, but right now Facebook Messenger is the go-to platform. They have everything and they every time something right. new comes out, they incorporate it. Yeah. And if people don't use Facebook Messenger, they use WhatsApp, which yeah. is Facebook Messenger. Yeah, exactly. So it's I don't know, for as much Slack as Facebook gets, like they they've got it together. Yeah. It's I don't know what it is, but mm-hmm. they do. So I want to get Nick involved in this. Mike I, I really hope Nick's going to be excited in this, the very first story you have in the notes about this science journal app they announced this week. Yeah. The, I would have missed this if I didn't see a story about it, but I guess <laughs> that's redundant, not, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, yeah, it wasn't, yeah, yeah. I, it was this one place that I saw it. I haven't seen this written about anywhere else, but right. it was this one, this one article on Android police said they, uh, they came across this app called science journal that makes use of the sensors in your phone. So the magnetometer, accelerometer, and light sensor. Mm. And you can essentially 
play around with it and visualize the output that those sensors are currently experiencing. Um, so if you dropped your phone, you know, threw it up and came back down, you could see the, the acceleration or deceleration, I guess, Mm. uh, you know, plotted in real, I I don't know if it's real time. I haven't played around with it too much, but you can at least see what the data looks like. Um, and you know, it uses, it actually uses a three axis accelerometer data. Like it, it visualizes each one independently. So, um, Mm. you can, you can do a lot with it. It seems like, and that is basically for people who are curious just to play around with stuff. Like if you had it running while you're in your car and you wanted to see your, your car's acceleration, um, you wanted to, you know, see how dark a room was and compare it to how, when you turn a light on, what the light flux is and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, you know, it has a, oh, it uses the, uh, the mic for decibels so it can do decibel oh, okay. readings wherever you are. Uh, so yeah, it's, and obviously it's not precise by any stretch. It's as precise as your phone's expected to be, but it's, uh, I, it's, it's a cool thing that I definitely want to start playing around with a little bit. Just this is the same way that I, Sometimes we'll run the MyTrax app just to kind of get, you know, velocity data or, you know, that kind of thing or right. elevation data, that kind of thing. So it's, and I guess the idea behind it is to get kids kind of doing little experiments, um, you know, for, for teachers to use. Because everyone in classes these days has at least a smartphone. Yeah. And so you could just do an experiment with everyone's phone and say, okay, everyone run this app and, Hmm. you know, take, take the data and show me what you have and that kind of thing. And that is actually a big thing in classrooms these days is getting kids to use technology and, you know, use that to discover your world around you, I guess. Right. And to Uh, be able to measure it. Yeah. And, and, and I don't believe i'd imagine this isn't the first app to ever allow you to do that right um there's probably apps out there that use you know act as an accelerometer um a light sensor whatever it's, yeah. it's not it's not new but this is coming directly from google this app yeah and it's it's nice that they've kind of put this out there for people to use well and it's all in one spot like i have a decibel yeah. meter on my phone yeah but it literally just tracks the live sound levels yeah and there's no way to store it. There's no way to do it. Like if I wanted to store the uh, uh, decibel level for later reading, I need either have to type it into a computer or like screenshot and then remember to go back to it. Yeah. Yeah. I have exactly the same thing. Yeah. This is so cool. Did, did you see this, Nick? Did you try it? No, I, 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 I haven't OS heard yet. about this. I'm, yeah. That's basically the first thing I'm going to do when we go off air. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As soon as I heard about it, I downloaded it right away and I was like, oh, it's kind of cool. Cause you can just, you, you, open the accelerometer part and if you like rotate your phone like this and then you can actually see how the x and y and z axis is right change with the the orientation of it the acceleration of it so z mike z <laughs> yes z <laughs> cool this is an american show after all z y'all Yank. here <laughs> um yeah and and in i guess if unless you have any more to say on that in a related story uh Google or Android, I guess, has released a new API that lets apps access, uh, I guess, environmental st- states. Right. If you want to call it that, it's called the awareness API. Um, so the signals being time, location, uh, beacons, headphone status, hmm. activity, weather, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And again, this is these aren't new things. Like apps can already access these states. But they've released an API to 
kind of package it all together into specific kind of like flags, I'm assuming. Yeah. Uh, just, just for apps to be more able to use more readily instead of having to kind of start from scratch every time they want to implement those types of statuses. Right. Um, so again, kind of going into the, the smart, smart home kind of intelligent app device tech, uh, functionality, you can say, you know, if, uh, if the headphones are put in and you know, the person starts running, launch the music app kind of thing. Right. right? Yeah. Versus having to like put a bunch of flags into your app to kind of simulate the same status. Okay. Um, again, I'm not a developer, so I I can't appreciate (laughs) this fully, but, but I, I can imagine how useful this would be. Yeah. There's a lot of things that, that need that. Like you could get, I remember hearing a couple of years ago, there were people that in like developed Bluetooth Android buttons that you could basically stick anywhere. You could program them to, when you press this button, it would do any number of things Mm -hmm. and, or, or it would, you could also, I think there were NFC tags where you could like put your phone up against it and it would do whatever action you set it up to do. Yeah. And it's, so it seems like this, but a lot more kind of rigid and, written by Google to kind of standardize everything and make it a lot easier. There is thinking of this. It reminds me of a a game that I've been, I played a little while ago. It's like a a sort of weird puzzle game on iOS called uh, black box. And it gives you a set of challenges you have to do, but it doesn't actually give you any instructions. It just gives you like visual um, clues about what you're supposed to do. And so like there's, there's sets of challenges. So for instance, one of the challenges you have to do, there's a series of red dots on the screen organized in kind of a geometric pattern. And you have to rotate your phone into different orientations in order to, to achieve these different challenges. So that's the basic one. That's the tutorial one, but they also have one that has to do with geofencing. And so holding down the screen, you're able to set a geofence, like pressing down on the screen. And then you get, you have to, to pass challenges. You have to be a certain distance from that geofence and open the app. So it encourage like it, it there's a thing like there's a challenge if you're in the the sound one there's a little sound kind of room with a bunch of challenges where you have to like plug in headphones or like use play pause like there's all these things where hmm. they have these triggers but you have like it's a challenge to figure out what the trigger is to actually pass this challenge and they're they're really weird ones there's a developer one where you have to break the app in a specific way while using it, like you have to find an edge case that oh, kind weird. of breaks the app interaction and then you win that challenge. So it's very bizarre. And there's like, there's 50 or 60 different challenges. There's in-app purchases to unlock kind of more advanced challenges. It's, it's an interesting kind of use of all the sensors and stuff, all the information and the kind of awareness features of your phone that right. this is, if this is now standard, that's great on Android because from what I've heard, it's really hard to kind of you have to almost reverse engineer what you've seen in another kind of Google based app in order to see how they did it right. and then try to interpret what they did and do it the same way. Wait, what's that game called? It's called black box, black box. Okay. Yeah. Maybe we'll put that in the notes just so people can oh, good idea. check it out. Yeah. Um, cause that sounds kind of cool. It reminds me of like the locked room, like the escape room type, yeah, yeah, type yeah. challenges where you just put into a room and you have to, and those ones do have actual clues. But yeah. it, it well, seems like it's a similar type thing where you have to kind of like think yeah, you have to explore. outside the box and explore and try different things and see what works. Yeah. The tagline is think outside the box. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there's one, I, I haven't figured out the challenge, but there's one where 
if you say the word box or if you rhyme, if you say a rhyme that sounds similar to box, it will flash the screen, but it doesn't give you the challenge. Oh, so weird. I feel like there's something you have to say a certain phrase right. that, in, that somehow includes the syllable box and to win the challenge, but I can't figure it out. And it's oh, like, weird. There, yeah, there's, there's a lot of huh. cool things like that. That's cool. It's not think yeah. outside the box, is it? I tried that. Yeah, no, I, tried. <laughs> I tried all that. Think inside the box. Uh, yeah, they, but so that, that kind of thing, having yeah. those APIs are really important, I think, to a to a vital ecosystem for a phone. And and I think both platforms, iOS and Android, could use more of that. Yeah, because there are still a lot of ways in which, like, we talked about Gboard a couple weeks ago, and I learned in the aftermath of that app coming out that. Every time a third-party developer wants to develop a keyboard for iOS, they have to re-implement everything. There's no, there's nothing that is kind of helped along hmm. by Apple's frameworks. Like you have to build every, like the size of the buttons that you have to build. You right. have to build the typeface into each button. You have to build how they work. And it seems like you could have a way that Apple could kind of take loads off, give pieces to developers. And this yeah. is, yeah, this is one of those ways. It's yeah, the stuff from Google IO is all really interesting, but it's interesting to developers. It's not interesting to us people yeah. right now, which is fair because it's a developers conference, right? No, I, I agree. Yeah. I completely agree. Yeah, but it, it makes for disappointed watchers in the immediate aftermath. <laughs> yeah. When then you have the Nexus announcements, or at least the last one, which is like the most underwhelming thing in life. Right. And it's like. And so people got except for IO and they didn't announce anything consumer related, really. That's like they launching. did, but they didn't. What's that? Nothing that's coming out now. Yeah. And even just like, as far as it being like a new Nexus phone, like I think people right. would be excited about that, but that obviously didn't happen. And people are hoping that right. it would, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. We'll, we'll see how the next device announcement goes, even if they mm. choose to do a keynote, like for all we know, they might just yeah. announce it. Well, they did that with Android N. They just yeah. said, here's the developer release. There was no event. There was nothing. Yeah. Um, before, I, I do want to, there's a couple more things I want to touch on to do with Google I.O., but Nick, why yes. don't you give us a break and tell us about what you wanted to say about Veritasium, the YouTube channel. Oh, his Svalbard video. Svalbard video. <laughs> yeah. Small, Svalbard video. Svalbard. <clears throat> yeah, I know. Veritasium did a did a video on Svalbard. I thought it was really cool. One thing that I thought was really interesting about it, though, was uh, his discussion of what seeds were and were not allowed into the vault. Yeah. And they're not allowing GMO seeds in there. Hmm. I wanted to get your thoughts on that. They're, from what I understood about the video, they're not allowing... GMO, like people are now trying to make a distinction, which I think is a fair distinction between GMO that includes kind of plant splicing together and GMO that includes explicit gene, gene manipulation by kind of geneticists. And some could argue that there's really not much of a distinction there, but I think it's an important one where splicing together a plant that has maybe the ability to be hardier in winter, for instance, by splicing a, a physical plant 
together with like a tomato and a potato or something. I, I'm not, I'm not a botanist, but I feel like. Now I'm no botanist, but. (laughs) Okay. On that note, I got to tell you about this one thing. Last year in Calgary, anyway, they had, what they did was they spliced, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. They spliced a potato plant to a tomato plant. Okay. So you would grow it in like the classic potato bin, but all all the above ground stuff was a tomato plant. They called it ketchup and fries. (laughs) I thought that was the coolest thing. Right. So 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 you have, you have potatoes being like the root system. Yeah. And then tomatoes being the above ground. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Right. And, And that's kind of what I'm talking about is, that to me, it, assuming that they did it without any kind of gene manipulation on the on the no, kind of that was just level. like I yeah, it's kind of how you you get those trees that produce many kinds of fruit. Yeah, you just like stick the new limb on and be like, mm. this belongs to you now. Right, <laughs> right. It, like the Frankenstein method of gene manipulation is different than the. I guess like vision from the Avengers manipulation. I'm not sure I, I follow like Frankenstein. They, they pieced together a bunch of pieces and they like sewed it together and then it was alive. And that's yes. what you're describing. Like adding a branch to a tree of a different yes. plant. Yeah. Or whereas, fries. Right. So, yeah. and whereas like vision, they rebuilt a better human from this, from the ground up. They, where they were able to manipulate genetics to make him, and obviously right. there's there's mysticism going on with infinity stones and all that but they were they were taking a ground up approach and almost 3d printing a person with the characteristics they wanted and there mm-hmm. are genetic manipulators like Monsanto I'm I'm presuming most of the most advanced research they do is like s- touching genes to make changes and then seeing if that produces a better thing yeah. and people people really don't like that kind of gene splicing like it's like spider-man spider-man was bit by the spider and like if you watch the sam raimi or the first spider-man movie your, your comic McGuire, book references are not very good analogies for this rob th- no th- this one is because if you remember back to the first spider-man with toby Maguire, when he got bit they specifically showed that and it, this is not actually how it's done but like they showed a piece of gene being pulled out on the dna level and another spider piece being put in like that's the kind of genetic spli- gmo splicing that i think is a bigger problem than just the basic uh the, like the kind that yeah. the potato plant you should be careful about calling mixed. it a problem though because it's really not a problem is, is that we don't we know less about it we i'm do. not saying it's like, gonna like be the harmful. people who do it know a lot about it they don't know they're they're mostly experimenting and most of those foods don't necessarily make it to market but i think it's it's not the same thing. It, but that's why they're not doing it on humans. Right. Exactly. Well, they're not testing the actual thing on humans, but we're eating some of that food. No, I mean like splicing gen- human genes no, they're not. to create they're different not. humans. No, that's not, that's the whole point because they don't know how it's going to behave. This is a relatively low risk. Relatively, you know, I agree. Low I, consequence I, I, yeah. thing, right? It's not like with the seeds that they don't use, they're just throwing them into the wind to go plant right. themselves somewhere, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Hopefully like, not. That would be the best disposal case, though. <laughs> don't need I these also, anymore. <laughs> I also like when, when Rob was talking about touching jeans to change them. <laughs> I was just imagining like someone wearing a pair of jeans and like poking them. They're like, why are these changing? 
I, yeah, I'm not saying one is necessarily more dangerous than the other. I'm just saying that from a technical perspective, they're different. And yes, either one could have risks. You could pair that uh, tomato plant, potato plant, and you'd end up with a tomato that ends up being poisonous like that. That could happen. We We don't know. And but that's a very easy thing to test and show isn't real. Did you guys ever hear about the Arctic apple fiasco? Did I talk about that here? I don't think no. so. Oh, they they have a new GMO product called Arctic apples or something like that. Basically, they're apples that lack the the enzyme which causes browning. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So, and I mean. I've, when I heard about that, I thought it was fantastic. And I think part of the idea being or behind the name anyway, is that these are apples that can last much longer in shipping. So theoretically you could get them to the Arctic before they've gone bad. Okay. And I thought that was great, but I made yeah. the mistake of listening to an interview. It <laughs> might've been on the one eighty. Have you guys ever listened to the one eighty? No, no. They do some interesting stuff. Like, they take people from completely opposite ends of a debate and interview them. Okay. Not like together because that just ends up with people talking over one another and yeah. a lot of farce, but they actually try and talk with them. But I find the problem with some of it is I either don't feel like the other side of a story deserves to have their voice heard. Right. Yeah. Or it's just not relevant or something like that. Yeah. And I think it might have been the 180 that talked about Arctic apples. And they had this lady on talking about her quote, the problems with Arctic, Arctic apples, but it was more her problems. Okay. And one of the things was like, well, when you go to market and you're buying an apple, like you want to know that it's fresh produce you're getting. And one of our indicators of it being fresh is browning and bruising and stuff like that. But if your Arctic or if your apple doesn't brown and bruise, then you don't know how fresh it is. You don't know how fresh it is. And I'm like, because it's still fresh. Right. It doesn't <laughs> decay the same way. Yeah. I like, was just, I was, I thought it was terrible. So yeah. Does she go to the market and pick out bruised and brown apples because she no, because those fresh? aren't the fresh ones, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the old ones. But if you had these weird apples that didn't brown or bruise, then, I mean, how do you know if it's fresh or not? How do you know whether or not you should put it in your mouth? <laughs> like because it's perfectly fine. But what if it's not perfectly fine somehow, literally Mike? Literally the definition of fresh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you engineer these things to say fresh longer. And then you're like, but how fresh is fresh? I think that is a discussion best left. In philosophy classes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if there is no rotten, then what is fresh? <laughs> <laughs> Everything is just Twinkies at that point. <laughs> exactly. Our food can survive apocalypses. <laughs> yeah. It, the the distinction like genetically modified is a is such a modern phrase that we don't really have any context for yet. Like we've, as we've discussed in past episodes, we've been modifying food genetically intentionally but not specifically for a really long time like the the watermelon used to be this tiny thing the size of a cherry that had almost no flesh and we've slowly bred them to be this giant thing that doesn't have seeds uh or at least some of them don't have seeds obviously they need new seeds for things but 
And we, but it, there's a specific difference between doing something like that and something like Monsanto is trying to do with crops where they're trying to trademark crops and have things that only last one generation where you're, where if you take seeds that have blown into your field and plant Monsanto crops, they are able to sue you for stealing their trademark. Like that's right. a very different thing. And they, I think they, for at least a while, they need to be treated separately. Well, I mean, that's getting into Monsanto's comic dickery. Yeah, yeah, yeah like, exactly. I mean, They're, and I mean, if you want to have seeds that won't be viable, there are ways to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you create hybrids. Yeah. So yeah, I genetically modified. Like, if they don't take watermelon seeds because they've been modified over thousands of years, that makes no sense. But I'm assuming they are have they have watermelon seeds there. It's they're specifically not taking things that biochemical research labs have been trying to save as like, here's our trademarked seed. Can you put it in your vault? And they're, they're saying, no, that's, I think it's a different thing than saying just because something has been modified from what it originally was in nature, we're not going to take it. That's a bad argument. And I don't think that's the argument they're ever making. So they wouldn't have like a grapple seed is what you're trying to say. I'm not sure how grapples came about. I assume they were naturally kind of just spliced. And so they would accept grapple would seeds. Would they be, though? I highly doubt that. I, I think that you could, because it's really just the flavor that happens to taste. Like, most flavors, most fruit flavors are just different shaped and different sized esters. And so they're very chemically similar. I assume it would be pretty easy to just tweak it and end up with an apple that kind of tastes like a grape. Like, that's all it is. It's an apple that kind of tastes grapey. What would grapey. you splice, though? Like, like, you're talking about putting a, like a grape branch onto an apple tree? Maybe. I, I Like I said, I, I'm not sure of the process, but I think it would be pretty easy to just change the taste of an apple that happens to kind of end up like, like when, when they make uh, Mr. Sketch markers smell like different things, they're not, they're not aiming for a, a specific smell when they set out. They go and try a bunch of combinations of molecules that have scents. And then when they find one right. that smells like licorice, they're like, oh, that's our licorice marker. They don't right. go looking for a licorice smell and like manipulate atoms. Okay, real time follow up. Yeah. One, it's pronounced grapple. Oh, okay. Which I've never I don't heard think that. Anyone saw coming. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> they even like on their website, they have the little, what is the it, the phonetic a. thing? Yeah. <laughs> so that you know it's a hard A. Or a right. long A? Long A, yeah. <laughs> anyway, they uh, they basically take Washington Extra Fancy Gala or Fuji Apples, and then they just shove grape flavor in. Like inject it? No, it's uh, they have like a flavor extract, and then they gently bath the apples in this delicious grape mixture. What? So it's not even genetically modified? Yeah, I thought it was genetically modified. I totally Turns out it's not. thought it was. I'm pretty upset. I feel upset. very let down. I am very <laughs> let down. I thought this was like an amazing feat of genetic <laughs> modification. And meanwhile, they're just shoving grape flavor on top of an apple. It's not even why, inside of it. Why, why are we impressed? They could shove grape flavors into anything. They could make <laughs> like a, a beef pull. And why just, not a grape banana? Yeah, exactly. Like... Well, I had a grape oh, carrot. Man. God, this is so disappointing. It is. I know you're being facetious, but I am I, disappointed. I, I, I'm pretty disappointed. I'm surprised at how animated you are, though. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a big letdown. Because every time I see them in the store, I'm like, I, I, I get impressed every time I see one. I'm like, 
science. But no, it's not. <laughs> Every time Mike walks into a grocery store now, he just looks at a oh. I just yeah, just smash one on the like, ground every time. Like, <laughs> another concerned mom comes up to you. It's like, are you upset about the genetic modification too? It's like, I'm upset about the lack thereof, actually, miss. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we should almost man. market themselves as not genetically modified. Because yeah. I'm sure people would actually probably eat more of them if they knew that probably, it wasn't like yeah. a Franken-apple. Well, people would probably make more at home if they knew they just had to yeah. dunk their apple in grape juice. <laughs> stupid well it's not grape juice <laughs> it's a delicious grape mixture Rob. wait is this grape mixture or is this quote-unquote grape mixture well, they, they use a special patented process in which they combine the concentrate concentrated grape flavor with pure water then gently bath the apples in this delicious grape mixture you guys have heard of chocolatey, like yeah. chocolatey coated? Yeah. This is grapey dipped. <laughs> like it's, they can't legally call it grape. <laughs> that, yeah. Like, oh um, man. Worst hundredth episode ever. <laughs> this is the worst topic ever, Nick. Why did you even bring this up? <laughs> I don't even know how we got here. <laughs> oh man. Thanks a lot, Derek. Oh. <laughs> All right. Uh, in that case, Mike, let's talk. Let's talk a bit. I don't. If you follow Mike and I on Twitter, we talked a lot about. Well, not a lot, but a little bit about um, Project Ara and whether or not it is non-upgradable. I don't want to have that discussion. We've we've had that discussion. It's not upgradable in the way that a couple of headlines said it was not upgradable. Uh, but it's also still upgradable in a lot of ways. And so, Mike, why don't you? Intro- reintroduce us to Project Ara and tell us a little bit about what they've done this year. Just in the news, they haven't done a lot, but recently they they announced that. Well, actually, in Google I don't, I. Long, I don't know how long ago. Yeah, in I O, they've they were saying that it's going to be released in in 2017. It's going to be yeah. coming to market. Um, I believe I can't remember off the top of my head if it's just the developers that will get it or if developers it's get be... it this year. Consumer oh, release okay. in 2017. Okay, yeah, so, but it's going to be a bit different than what they originally, I wouldn't say promised, but what they originally <laughs> led us to believe it would be. Um, what they wanted it to be, really. They wanted it to be this way, but it, it wasn't yeah. practical, I guess. Uh, so at first, the first development that happened a couple of months ago was the uh, change from the modules and how they fit in because mm. they realized, actually, well, we won't get into it, but <laughs> the story was that they dropped the phone and the modules flew out, but that right. wasn't actually the reason why, but that they redesigned it. But the whole point was that they redesigned the way the modules fit into the phone, which is fa- yes. which is fine. But now we've learned that they're changing the types of modules, or at least making more explicit the type of modules that you'll be able to customize with each uh, era phone. And it's going to end up being basically just your peripheral type components if it was a computer, it'd be the peripherals that you could change out, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Uh, the CPU, the RAM, and the primary display will all be set as kind of like, just that's what you have. And yeah. you can swap out uh, your camera, your speakers, your sensors, like fingerprint sensors. Um, extra possibly battery. Extra battery, possibly NFC, Bluetooth. I, I, there was those a- might even be baked into the frame as well. I think there was a second display as well, like a little e yeah. display that you could add. 
yeah, there's um yeah, they they mentioned a secondary display. Yeah. I'm not sure where you'd put it. I guess it might be worth having, I don't know, it's like a clock or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or yeah. just notifications, whatever. Uh but those can all be swapped in and out. Whereas the the main stuff that runs the phone is all gonna be in the primary base of the device. Right. And apparently there's some news outlets that means that it's not upgradable, which depending on your definition of upgradable is true. I'll grant you that that is yeah. true in what most computer people would think of being upgradable. Right. Whereas a, someone might get a new phone because it has a better camera, which mm-hmm. in this case, the phone is still upgradable because yeah. you can just get a better camera device, or camera yeah. module. So um, we'll see kind of what the final product looks like. I still have hope for the product. Maybe the second gen will be more upgradable you might be able to throw you know a ram stick in there to kind of boost your right your phone's ram kind of thing um but yeah I, I it seems to be less pipe dreamy than it was originally absolutely yeah um especially after seeing the g5 <laughs> and how that already has essentially one of these module slots yeah yeah the the dream is still alive i think but I'm I'm still not convinced that having a phone with a bunch of like blocks that theoretically could fall like if, if you're gonna be able to get them out, they are gonna be relatively easy to have fall out. And having your camera fall out of your phone isn't necessarily the end of the world, but I you wouldn't want it to happen. You wouldn't ever want your of any module to fall out unless you were taking it out. And I'm not sure that how they solve that problem outside of having a case that just kind of encloses the back and keeps them all right. in there. And then, but then you end up with the, the Samsung, I'm going to call it the Samsung problem because that's funny to me, where you drop your Samsung phone back in 2009, 2010, every time, not every time, 99% of the times the back case would pop off and the battery would fly out and you'd have to go <laughs> and collect the battery, put it back in, turn your phone on. That was a very common problem. I mean, it's not just Samsung. Uh, like just Nokia phones had the same thing sometimes. But I remember it commonly happening with the one early Samsung phone I had. Um, or at least someone very close to me had where it just kept kept happening. It, Project Aura is really cool. It It's a great idea in theory, but it's almost like the communism of phones in that it in practice, it just has too many caveats to be worth it. And like it fails in reality. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what we've seen because now they are already having to give up some of the, the customizability of it where you can swap out more Ram or, or add a CPU, add like more powerful CPU. Say you want to like you're editing a video or something. You could theoretically like plug that computer. Like if you had windows 10 on it, obviously this is not running on windows 10, but like where you could have some kind of continuum like thing where you plug a monitor into this phone you could add a like extra graphics performance to be able to edit yeah. video and stuff. Um, like, it, it seems really interesting to me. Yeah, there's one one guy on Twitter, Izzy Nobri. One of mm-hmm. my, I've I've actually met him before. Nick has too. Um, Have fellow I? Kel, fellow, yeah, Calgary YouTuber. He was at that. Oh, that, that thing. We went to. Yeah. So he said, "What is what are you doing intensely enough with your phone that you need to upgrade? Yeah. This the CPU and." I, Apple is already moving in that direction with their iPads. Yeah. Where they are. their iPads are able, you know, to replace a desktop mm-hmm. to varying degrees. The, to most the, people. To most people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There, there's like super hardcore, like 
graphics designers or, you know, game developers, whatever, yeah. that would need a full-fledged computer. But for the everyday person who just has a desktop PC, you should be able at some point in the near future be able to just use your phone and, like you said, plug it into a monitor yeah. and use it from there, right? Yep. And and that's the future that I want. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm already trying to move in that direction. Like I have a Bluetooth mouse and keyboard for my phone for the times where I need to remote into somewhere and and use it. Okay. Um so yeah, like That's, and I'm, that sounds amazing. That sounds like Tony Stark is five <laughs> years away. The fact that you're using a Bluetooth mouse and keyboard to control a remote desktop, that's really cool. Like genuinely I'm yeah. I'm that's awesome that that works. Yeah, like it's well, and that's just because Android supports yeah. that type of yeah. functionality that well. So, um, yeah, no, it's it's, and you know, those are more for emergency cases where I'm just out and I need to, like, for work, I'll remote into somewhere and 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 use that. But right, um, and I'm I'm hoping that you know, at some point we'll have continuum functionality across most devices mm-hmm. and and be able to do that. Yeah, it's great. We'll see because they've promised shipping devices in the past and have not yet followed through. They were talking about, I think the last time we talked about it was the Puerto Rico pilot failing and the, the, the fact that the modules were falling out that ended up not being the full whole reason why they had to stop. But uh, yeah, the, the future is bright for that kind of modular computing. And I really hope that we do get to see it in 2017. Me too. Don't we all? Nick, you had one more thing to, to say about Svalbard? Oh, I did. And this was in reading the Wikipedia article on it. Time magazine in 2008 named Svalbard the sixth best invention in 2008. <laughs> <laughs> was it invented in 2008? Or this is the sixth best invention of all time? Uh, in 2008, apparently. Okay. But it's like... Oh, the thing that could potentially save the world in the event of a crisis? Yeah, that sounds like a number six candidate for me. Are you interested at all in hearing the top five? I am. Yes, I'm intrigued. Yeah, so number five, and I see why this beat it out, the Large Hadron Collider. Okay, yeah. I was like, uh, maybe. I can see, I can see, maybe, like, you know... Maybe. I would maybe like reverse those five, a five B it remains to be seen yeah. for the large Hadron Collider. Why it might be hugely necessary as a breakthrough. If they, I think, well, I don't know. I think that just based on the engineering alone, oof, like, sure on the, on that scale, like the seven wonders of the modern world, LHC should be on there if it's not. Yeah. Well now. Yeah. <laughs> the modern, like, post, okay. The seven wonders of the postmodern world. <laughs> yeah. Are you ready? Are you ready for number four? Number four. Hulu.com. Nope. What? No. Yeah, it's like, no. Nope. That's not even an invention. Thanks That's for coming out. International Space nope. Station. Why is that not? <laughs> well, those, they're seeing up 2008, higher. right? Yeah. 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 Uh, number three. The Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter. I mean... <sighs> I don't Which actually know that, that much about That's it. Yeah, I don't fine, even know that. But we can do better, but go on. I'll just I'll just bring the the mic up to my yeah. face so yeah. that I can actually read this part. It may have been a long time since the US built the world's best cars, but nobody can touch us when it comes to spacecraft. NASA, 
NASA written in all lowercase, mm-hmm. is about to prove that again with a planned launch in February 2009 of the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter. Our first unmanned moonship in 11 years. <laughs> <laughs> Our first unmanned moonship in 11 years. The Iro <laughs> will study the things lunar orbiters always study. Gravity, temperature, but it will also look for signs of water ice, a vital resource for any future lunar base. A, comp- a compiled <laughs> and compiled detailed 3D lunar maps, including all six Apollo landing sites. Wing nuts be warned. Yes, we really went there. <laughs> Number two. Yeah. The Tesla Roadster. 2008. Yes. Yeah. 2009, whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I see that. How are these I, ahead of LHC and. They're missing a lot of things here, but what's number one? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll also point out that number seven was the Chevy Volt. And. <laughs> the Tesla Roadster is five places above the Chevy Volt. So mm-hmm. that's, you know, interesting. Yep. They're being very liberal with the term invention. Yeah. This is <laughs> And the number one invention of two thousand eight, ahead of the Large Hadron Collider, ahead of Svalbard, <laughs> is the retail DNA test. That I I'm fine with that, to be honest. Twenty three and me? Yeah, making... it is twenty three and me specifically. Yeah. That that I'm I'm okay with being number one. That is huge for, but like International Space Station's not there. Svalbard's the space station wasn't invented. Yeah, in it was pre two thousand eight. Ah, uh, they're not saying of all time, just two thousand eight. I guess. I guess that's all right. I mean, the ISS though, it's no lunar reconnaissance orbiter. <laughs> I mean, the lunar reconnaissance orbiter was in no way invented in two thousand eight. That doesn't. Yeah. That doesn't details. read right to me, but. <laughs> Details, Point out your plot holes elsewhere, up. Rob. This guy really likes the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, so he put it on the list. God, yeah. Just oh, number eight is bullets that shoot bu- shoot bullets. I don't even understand, but like that, that's a thing. All right. Yep. That's bizarre. <laughs> well, with that, I think what we should do, Mike. You said you have something for an after show. I think we should. We should wrap up the show, the hundredth episode, and uh, and so I'll say thank you for listening to the hundredth episode of Future Chat. If you got this far in this episode, if you got this far in the run of the show, um, please tell your friends, tell your your science minded cohorts about about us. We'd uh, we'd love to hear from you on Twitter at uh, underscore Future Chat FM, and we'll be back next week with more science and tech talk. See you guys next time. Ciao. Toodaloo. All right, Mike, what do you got? Okay. This is a screen share that I'm going to have to do. Okay. It looks like Chiggy Sue Higman. It does. <laughs> it does. I don't know if you'll be able to hear this right now because I don't know how the screen sharing works. Hey, guys. Congratulations on your 100th episode. I'm sorry I couldn't be there to celebrate it with you, but when you get to your 200th episode, I will be there to celebrate that one with you. <laughs> I'm so proud of you guys. You've come so far since those original episodes. I really look forward to hearing this 100th episode. Have fun. Bye. Oh, that's awesome. Bye, Chiggy. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. I know, right? Thanks, Carolyn. I, I, uh, that's very nice. So, Yay, th- th- thanks, Carolyn, for being there at the start. 
Yeah. You hung in there for a bit. You you decided having a life was more important, but that's okay. <laughs> that, that's really okay. <laughs> well, she also got a PhD in that. She time, did. So yeah, she she was fighting the good fight in the meantime. So that's yes. good. So I think it's official. We have to make it to two hundred episodes. We so do. We can hold her to her word. <laughs> yeah. We should probably have her on next week, just in case this whole thing explodes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. But, yeah. I'm so happy. I'm, I'm truly speechless. Happy, happy 100, guys. 